Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome, everybody, to Somewhere in Vegas here on Spreaker.com. I am Mark the Q. I am your host, Our first episode this week has two very, very talented musicians. Coming up a little bit later, we'll be talking to Scott Page, who has worked with the likes of Pink Floyd and Supertramp. We'll be talking a little bit about how he balances his musical and business projects, um, as well as how he intermingles with them. My next guest is very, very talented. You may remember her from Season Mother of the Voice. Uh, she has worked with a who's who of country and pop artists over the past couple years. Very talented, not only in singing, but also in acting as well. And she's a talented songwriter, and she is just really kind of blowing up right now. I am so privileged to have Sherry Oakley on with me. How are you doing, Sherry? I'm good. How are you? Good. I mean, it, it's been crazy just to see kind of the, the, the rise, how everything has happened with you, especially after the after season one of The Voice. I mean... Uh, to be able to work with the with the people that you've worked with, and to be able to have a um, a um, uh, a rising single, as it were, as well. I mean, how's it been for you to um, kind of uh, kind of work um, work your way up after the Voice? I mean, you were eliminated um, during the battle rounds, but it seemed like um, even after that, you your your star just continued to rise. I mean, tell me a little bit about that. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Um... Yeah, I think sometimes it's it's interesting to get other people's perspective because sometimes things seem like it, you know, can happen faster on the outside than it does for the person going through it. <laughs> um, for me, the voice was just kind of just a part of my career. Um, I had been doing a lot of session work and tours and things like that before I was on the voice, and um, and I wrote a song that had just just hit number one when I was on The Voice and then so it's just sort of just been a continuation of of hard work and opportunities and um, incredibly thankful for every single opportunity that's come my way um, I've been able to work with a lot of people since The Voice um, get a better relationship with people like Reba since The Voice um, and uh, it's, it's just been it's been incredible and I'm, I'm really thankful to have stayed working in this industry so steadily, <laughs> honestly, and um, to have the opportunity to finally be a solo artist has been a dream come true. So, you know what I mean. You know, just going off of that, the idea of mentorship. I mean, like I said, you've worked with so many great artists, even as a background vocalist. I mean, you've probably have gained a lot of knowledge over over so many years of being in Nashville and to be able to have worked with a lot of these people, um, you know, just in the studio or, you know, or is a background singer out on tour. I mean, 
how's it been for you to kind of learn off a lot of these a lot of these folks and is, is there any important lessons that you've kind of gained from uh, working with uh, with a lot of these uh, well-known artists oh my goodness yes uh, to all of the above um, yeah I, I think that you can't put a price on experience and um, there's so many things that you can't read you know in a book and you can't learn from a class um, you you have the experience to go out there and learn firsthand from people what to do and what not to do and you see you know um, the benefits of their good decision making and the <laughs> the opposite of that and you learn and um, it's been incredible for me to be able to learn from all of the different artists that I've worked with and not just artists but producers and um, engineers and you know, everyone that goes into making an incredible album, a great single, or an incredible tour happen. There's so many different people. Um, I've learned so many lessons. I feel like I could write a book at this point. Um, but just to kind of pass along, I think, some of the most important lessons that I've learned that um, that I don't know that many people know unless they have um, sort of the experience that I've had is just the appreciation of how hard everyone works around you. Um, the humility to realize that it takes an entire team to make uh, or break a career. It isn't just you. And to have a lot of respect for that. I think that some of the greatest artists I've worked with are full of humility. Um, they really pay attention to how they treat people, um, particularly uh, the people that are on tour with them all the time. They have uh, a great uh, awareness of of just knowing that everyone out there, you know, when you're the artist, you kind of get to call the shots. Like if you have family, they get to come out whenever they want. You tour, you know, based on your schedule. But everybody else, they sacrifice a lot. Um, and uh, they don't see their families as much as you do. And they don't have the luxury of inviting them out like you do. And so every incredible artist that I've worked with that I've learned the most of what to do instead of what not to do is just full of humility um, and always aware of everyone around them, what they sacrifice, what they go through, what they bring through the t- you know to the table. Um, and I think that's the greatest lesson. And I don't think, you know, you can't learn that from a book, you know, um, you can't learn that in class. You know, you learn that from sitting and kind of soaking in people and their wisdom and, and what they've been through and, you know, what's made some of these incredible artists I've worked with have really long lasting careers, not just, you know, fly by nights. You know, um, having the experience young as a young, a younger person, just being able to travel across the country and ha- get that kind of, that kind of, you know, kind of um, experience under your belt. I mean, has that helped you out in terms of, you know, you know, going out on tour or anything like that? I remember the first tour, major tour that I did. I mean, I grew up in evangelist, evangelism with my family, and so we, we traveled, you know, my entire life. So I was used to, you know, fluctuating income, a schedule that can change, you know, uh, rapidly. And I was used to having to kind of fly by the seat of my pants. I grew up that way. But the first major tour that I did was the Carrie Underwood tour. And I was able to sit back as a background vocalist and see all the things that I needed to do that were my responsibility. And then all of the extra free time I had that Carrie did not, I was able to see firsthand a career explode overnight and see 
enormous demands um, that went along with that. And I was able to ask myself, is this something I really, really want to do? Is this something that I can do? Is this something that, you know, is there any part of this that makes me go, no, this isn't for me? Um, and I was able to see that before the opportunity ever came along for me to do, you know, a solo career myself. And so it was, it's been a seamless sort of transition for me. Um, something that I've known for years and years that I am capable. Um, I do want to do it. Um, I, I welcome the high demand and the responsibility, but to be able to see that firsthand and know, um, I mean, that's, that was an incredible, you know, experience for me to, to sort of figure things out um, and know what I'm getting into. Because a lot of artists don't get that opportunity. They have no idea what they're getting into, you know. They think, great, record deal, and I get to write songs, and I get to sing for people, and it's so much more than just that. And I have no idea. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, like I said, it, it's one of those things where, you know, you kind of gain some of your experiences and you kind of use them in a, in a useful way as almost a, as, a, as a tool in terms of, um, you know, doing what you do. And, you know, like I said, it's a little bit of an advantage for you to have that opportunity to be able to um, yeah. have that um, have that um, experiences under under your belt. Um, when, when was probably when was the probably the first time that you ever ever wrote a song? melodies when I was four or five years old, um, not realizing that that was, you know, the beginnings of writing. Um, and so I've always um, gravitated towards, you know, being really creative with writing my own original things. Um, but it wasn't until I moved to Nashville. And it wasn't until um, I think I was probably 20 when I wrote my first song. Um, and that was when I first came to Nashville and, um, and people, I had just heard so many people say, you know, if you want to be in the music industry, you need to write, do you write? And I thought, well, I've always sort of come up with little ditties, you know, little melodies and little things here and there. And I'd love to try that. That's something that I haven't really dove into seriously. Um, so that's when I started to sort of dabble in it. And even then, it wasn't really seriously. Um, it was just kind of dabbling in it to see if it was something that I was good at, something I enjoyed, something I wanted to pursue. Um, it was really when I had my first opportunity to be a solo artist that I dove into it seriously, um, which was right around the time that I wrote Turn on the Radio. Um, Turn on the Radio, I think, was like my fourth or fifth song I'd ever really seriously written. Um, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, your evolution as a, a songwriter. I mean, obviously, you know, um, it's been a few years for you to have kind of, um, gone through the process. And like I said, again, mentorship through a lot of people, um, in terms of, you know, of this as well. I mean, how, how do you feel you are, you know, as, as evolved as a songwriter and, um, are things getting easier for you in terms of wanting, you know, knowing the process and what your process is? Um, and is it, is it, you know, you usually talk about you, you know, you have, you usually have a melody in your, in your head. Is it sometimes that you have the melody in your head and then think of the lyrics or do you think of the lyrics or is it a combination of both? It's, that's a good question. It's different for me. Um, I'm a, a melody writer first um, and a lyricist second. 
Um, but it's different for me. Sometimes it'll be in combination. I'll do. I'll come up with a melody idea, and I'll have a few lyrics that I'm just really inspired by. They really describe what I'm thinking and I'm feeling. Sometimes I'll walk in and I'll have, you know, a whole chorus written, um, lyrics and melody. But um, I'm struggling with the verses. Sometimes I come in and all I have is an idea, and I don't have a melody idea. Um, at all I just have an idea of what I want to say and the feel um, so a lot of times I'm able to really describe uh, because I don't play an instrument um, everything is <laughs> I have to describe everything so I'll describe like I'm I, this kind of a rhythm I want it to feel like this I want it to sound like this I want this I want that and, and just be really descriptive with what I'm hearing musically what I'm hearing um, with any other inspirations as far as melody lyrically um, but every song is born differently for me um, Turn On The Radio was a real collaborative effort it was all three of us in a room with just a simple idea and a guitar riff is how that one started so there wasn't a you know a melody or a lyric written yet it was the title and it was a guitar hit, uh, riff and that's all that we had and the three of us got in a room and all of a sudden sparks flew and it just was probably the easiest song I've ever written it took you know two hours and we were done um and it was just fun and it was inspired by you know I wanted to, to do a really fun song live I wanted something to be fun and I wanted energy and um so a lot of times I'm inspired by what is this going to sound like for an audience live. Um, first and foremost, I'm a performer before I am anything. So it's very important to me that whatever I'm writing translates live. You know, you can write a really great song that feels great. It's got an awesome groove. It's fantastic on the radio. It's fantastic, you know, in your house with, you know, your iPod or you know, uh, Spotify or whatever cranked up, but live, it kind of falls flat. Um, and that's, a, that's, that's another lesson I've learned from so much touring is, is the ability to know that a song is going to be able to translate on, you know, both platforms, you know, somebody's going to listen to it on a device or somebody's going to go see it live. It really needs to translate. So I think of all of those different things with writing. Um, I've grown an enormous amount <laughs> In the last few years, um, I've really learned how to dig into myself, to find the topics and things that I'm passionate about. Um, sometimes it'll take me several months to form a solid idea for a song because I've got so many different things that I want to say and I want to zero in on all of them. But I think the biggest thing that has changed for me as a songwriter is understanding the incredible platform that you have to really get something important across you know you can really get an amazing message across through a song um and so uh i just i, I approach it um with a great sense of responsibility now was was turn on the radio um was that the fastest song that you've ever written uh in just a couple hours <laughs> probably okay <laughs> um it was quick we did do a couple of rewrites, I think, because I always go back and tweak. Um, I think, you know, you always want to double check your work and make sure, could we beat this line? Could we beat that line? So there were a couple of tiny little things. Um, I even retweaked it for my own EP um, where I rewrote part of a, the bridge um, in there. And so, you know, I mean, I've just changed a lot since I originally wrote that and 
originally recorded the demo for it. Um, and so I wanted to reflect, you know, who I am now, um, artistically. So, you know, I'm always tweaking things a little bit. So, but yeah, that probably was the, the fastest one. It was like, it was like two hours. <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, you know, what was it like for the first time that you you came into the studio and you know, obviously, like I said, you know, you know, having having been in the studio before, but just not being the the main person in the studio as well. I mean, how was it for you to kind of kind of you know for the first time just to be the be the kind of the center point and to be able to to be able to work into a stu- work in a studio. You know, that's a great question. Um, so I realized because so much of what I had done was live, um, I realized that it's a totally different approach in the studio, which is why um, uh, I'll do a lot of vocal coaching for a lot of different artists that um, struggle in the studio. They're great live, and then they get in the studio, and it's like, okay, why can't I get the same emotion across, you know, standing here in this tiny little box of a room in front of a microphone that I can in front of hundreds or thousands of people live. And it's because it's a different energy. There's no energy to feed off of except your own. Um, And so you really have to change your entire approach when you walk into a studio. And that has been a totally different art form that I've, I've spent years and years working on because it's completely different when you do background vocals versus being a, a solo artist. You have the freedom to 100% express who you are as a solo artist, and you don't have that same freedom as a background vocalist. You're um, zeroing in on the artist. You're zeroing in on their timbre. Um, If your voice is a little thicker or heavier than yours, you thin it out. You do everything that you can to manipulate your voice to sound as close to theirs as possible so that you can create a perfect blend. So it's very, very technical. when you do background vocals versus total, you know, creative freedom when you, when you're an artist. So it's two totally different approaches, but um, the studio is just completely different in the live, completely different. That brings me into a very interesting, interesting question that I ask a lot of musicians. Really, to tell you the truth, um, some, some prefer the club, you know, more intimate settings. Some people prefer the stage. What do you prefer? Uh, I love a big, huge stage, <laughs> and more people the merrier. Um, I I love the energy. Um, there is no such thing as a stage or a place that is too big for me. Um, it just it. I'm I'm thrilled. Um, it's a different feeling with a club. Um, as long as I feel the freedom to perform. That's what I need. Um, I struggle a little bit with um, songwriting events because I'm a performer first, and and it's more about telling a song uh, or the story behind a song um, rather than performing. Um, and so sometimes I, I feel very awkward because it's like, oh, I'm just supposed to I sit here and not move, and I don't know how not to move like when I'm singing because it's something that... Um, it's just kind of like stepping into a different, a different role almost. Um, but I would say stadium. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that is interesting. Like you said, there, there is a kind of a, you know, you know, 
it's almost 50-50 by the sounds of what a lot of musicians say because some people like that intimate setting and, and some people like to have the room to move, you know, and to yeah, be able to really interact act with the crowd too. So it's, yeah. it's you know, it's interesting. It's always interesting to hear what they have to say about that. Um, you know, what's going on with you right now? I mean, uh, tell me a little bit about what's what's been going on um, in terms of, of your musical career and uh, what can we look forward to over the next uh, couple months? Yes. So Work It has been out. Um, that It's a song I'm really proud of. Um, the uh, musicians that were uh, recording on it are incredible. Uh, it was produced by Dan Huff. Um, so it was a dream come true to work with everybody that was involved in that song. Um, and I'm really proud of it. I love the fact that, you know, it's a song that celebrates women, but it doesn't celebrate women in, in a way that I find... I find is happening so much in country music, which is, you know, our ballads or mid-tempos. It celebrates women in a way that makes one, women want to get up and dance and feel um, inspired to, you know, get out and, you know, kick some butt. Um, and so I love the response that it's been getting. I'm incredibly grateful for the response that it's been getting. Um, so we have that out now. But we are looking into our next single. So um, we're just trying to find the perfect date um, and what that release date is. I'm in the process now um, of picking the right director and the right location to shoot a video for it. It's going to be a ballad, um, and it's uh, it's a song I'm really, really proud of. I'm incredibly grateful to have it on my EP. Um, it's a song that really just talks sort of about my entire time in the music industry, you know, and this crazy dream of mine that I kind of just can't let go of. Um, and my heart and the things that I've been through um, because it's not, you know, smooth sailing for anybody in this industry, no matter what it can look like on the outside. It's full of major ups and downs and lots of roller coasters. And for me, it's been a very long road. Um, so it's trying to find the perfect location to shoot the video and the perfect date to release the song. And so that's what we're focused on right now. Um, after we release that, we have one more single that we're looking into releasing, and then we'll be releasing the full EP. And um, I'm really excited about it. You know, like I said, it's been a long time in the making. Um, a lot of people have been involved in my life that have just been so instrumental in helping just make all of this happen. And I'm incredibly grateful. Was this the first time that you've ever shot a video? For myself. Yeah. <laughs> I've done a lot of videos uh, for a lot of different artists as a background vocalist, but uh, this was this was my first as a solo artist. Yeah. So yeah, you know, obviously, like I said, you did have, did have, do have some acting experience as well. Um, you know, um, so obviously, it must have been a lot of fun doing 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 this and kind of doing at least a little bit of acting during during the uh, during the photos during the shoot as well. I mean. Um, first of all, how was the experience for you to, to kind of be, you know, kind of, again, kind of the focal point of the video? And um, second, I mean, I mean, is acting still something in the back of your mind? Yes and yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so I grew up in evangelism, but I was also discovered um, by an agent when I was uh, four and got a manager at five and started doing a lot of uh, musical theater and, um, and so acting has is, is always sort of gone hand in hand with me um, in music. And so um, even though I've sort of stepped away from it, not intentionally, 
uh, I just go where the opportunities happen and the opportunities for me happen in country music and um, you know I grew up singing a lot of southern gospel and listening to country music with my dad so that sort of felt like home and it felt like sort of going back to my roots but um, yeah I love any opportunity I get where I can dive in and, and feel like I'm jumping into a character or playing a role or getting to do some acting I miss it um, I would love to do it again in any form or fashion whether that's television or film or theater um, it'll always be a part of me I don't think you can I don't think once you do that I don't think it ever sort of gets out of your blood um, and I've had great experiences you know so it's it's always something that um, I'm just I'm thrilled to be able to do in any form or fashion but yeah doing the music video it was a blast I mean to see all of these people we had a massive crew and it was this huge um huge warehouse that we shot in and you know I just I'm so grateful I was like wow this is all here for me and I'm getting to do this and to dive in and play sort of the different roles throughout the video it was just it was an awesome experience and um I, I'm I was thrilled with it and I'm I'm thrilled you know with the outcome and it was a blast will you be performing anytime soon Yes, I'm looking into dates right now. Um, my focus is the single, and my focus is trying to get that out. Um, but I am always booking dates. So um, I just got back from Ohio, um, did a, a great date there um, for college. Um, uh, they were doing a big reunion, and so that was a lot of fun. Um, I've got a few shows coming up in Nashville. I think they're private, though. But uh, <laughs> So if anybody wants to book me for public things where I can actually put it up there and people can come, let me know. Um, but yeah, I'm booking now, so you can reach out to me on any of my social media sites. Um, Sheree Oakley Music is my Facebook site, um, and you can book me there. You can go to my website, which is ShereeOakley.com, um, or contact me on Instagram, which is probably Sheree Oakley, and that is the name. It is not, like, I know it's not probably Sheree Oakley, but it's called, actually called probably Sheree Oakley. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love performing live. That's my favorite thing. So I have not slowed down. Um, I've just had some some private dates that I've been doing. Well, it'd be nice to get you out here, especially the PBR next month. You know, if they have any open dates, hopefully they bring you out here. I mean, oh, I'm... that'd be incredible. I love that. <laughs> yeah, and I know that Reba. I know Reba and Brooks and Dunn does a residency out here as well. So it would yeah. be interesting to, to definitely see you out here at some point. Um, yeah, many opportunities for you. That. So, uh, you know, fingers yeah. crossed I get to see you come out, um, when you come out here. Yes, of course. I would absolutely love that. I'd love to meet you in person. Oh, definitely. And, you know, it's great to be able to see so much the success that's been going on as well in terms of your career. I mean, um, we got the new single out as well. People can check that out um, if you go to any of your, your social media sites. I'm pretty sure there are links there um, yes. and all that as well. Um, anything else you want to add? I just, I'm just so grateful. The response has been incredible. I'm so thankful that people are excited about my music, that it's starting to catch on. You know, um, there's nothing more rewarding than, you know, going through all the ups and downs and working really hard and, you know, um, traveling such a long road and finally getting it out there and seeing the response. I just wanted to say thanks to everybody who's been involved and who's um, championing me and my music. It just means a lot. 
Well, it's always great to have that fan interaction out there, too, and, and to be able to see the support, you know. And I'm pretty sure you gained a lot of fans from, from um, season one of The Voice, and they've carried oh, on yeah. through their career, too. So, again, I'm really excited if you ever come out here to be able to, to perform. And I think that'll I think that'll eventually happen. It just sounds like um, we're working on that album. And hopefully, I guess, you get the call. I'm, I'm hoping that uh, maybe you get the call uh, to, you know, maybe do, do some performing out here in Vegas, um, sooner rather than later. So we'll see yeah, what goes on with that you. as well. So I love Vegas. So that would be fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And, um, again, um, you know, thanks for joining us and, uh, best of luck to you coming up in the new year. And, uh, we'll hope, hopefully, uh, we'll see more stuff from you and we'll hopefully get you back on. Hopefully when, um, you know, hopefully a, when, if you, when you, if, and when you perform out here, um, or, you know, when a couple of those singles drop. Yes, that would be great. I would love that. So thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on so much. Oh, no problem at all, Sherry. And again, best of luck to you coming at the new year. Thank you. After the break, we will have our interview with Pink Floyd's Scott Page. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My guess you can call a renaissance man in terms of his career. Besides the fact that he has... Uh, played saxophone and many other instruments for many different individuals uh, that you may know. Um, he has launched several different um, multimedia uh, and technology companies along the way, um, including New Media Broadcast Company, Direct to Care, and Get Your OPI. I am privileged to have Scott Page on with me right now. How are you doing, Scott? I'm very good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting just to read your biography and just to be able to see all the things that you've done, um, you know, throughout your life um, in terms of both business-wise and um, art-wise as well. I mean, music, music-wise as well. I mean, how do you balance between the two? I mean, that was my biggest question. Well, you know, it's actually interesting. I've, uh, I love business, and it's kind of funny. I used to, when I was out on the road with Pink Floyd and we were playing, I'd be studying. We were out. We took a two-year tour, and I got into studying business i figured for that two years i was going to be out because as soon as i finished that tour i figured i was going to go start my business so uh i really got into the business side of it my dad was a serial entrepreneur so i've always loved the art of business so i try to combine the artistic part of business and the business part just as much it has it's as artful as actually making something creative in that sense because it is creative so but it is a different kind of mindset um myself i usually when i do a project I'm constantly thinking about it from a business point of view, not just from the artistic point of view, which is usually uh, a problem. Most people don't like to do that because then it starts becoming too businesslike and not enough art. But for me, it's, you know, if I'm going to make something, how do I make it successful at the same time so that the art actually gets out there? So I love the whole idea of business and uh, art kind of combining the two together. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously the creative, the creative aspect of everything. I mean, to be to be able to come up with an idea and and to execute that idea, um, you know, it translates very well from from a musical mindset over to a, a business mindset. We've seen that with many different uh, musical artists that have um, you know created very successful businesses as well. Um, you know, sometimes a creative mind is just not, um, you just can't shut, shut a creative mind off. You always have ideas and thoughts, um, in your head as well. I'm pretty sure that's, that's true of you. Well, yeah, you know, today I believe, first of all, this is the greatest time in history for the independent artist, uh, mainly because you have direct access to audience. You're walking around with a full blown streaming multimedia broadcast network in your hand. (laughs) You have the ability to kind of build audience. Uh, and whoever owns the audience wins, and it, we now know that it doesn't really take that big of an audience, more of a niche audience, to actually make a get a successful business rolling. So I think this is the greatest time, and I think artists have to think like businesses. I actually um, teach uh, startup to artists, and I was teaching it out at USC uh, a few years ago, and I teach this whole s- process called SPACE which is story, plan, army, conversion, education. And it all ties in. It's designed specifically for artists to think like entrepreneurs because I really believe that that's the, you know, if you want to be in the game today, you have to think like a startup business as an artist. So that's an area that I've really been focusing on is how do, how do, I, how do I take my art and turn it into an actual business that I can generate a living from? And today, especially when you look at music, you can't really sell music anymore. Right, those days are over. You can sell some streams, but you know, to make any money streaming wise, you have to have a lot of streams. I think I read not too just recently that I think the rough number for uh, you know to make you know a million streams on Spotify will pay you roughly around five thousand dollars, and that goes up or down depending on some variables. But in the sense is, there's only also there's only like two percent of the entire Spotify catalog has even gotten a million streams. So it's very difficult to sell music. So it's like, what do I sell these days as an artist? And it's really about selling the relationship or an experience. And that's really kind of the area I focused on right now. I have a company called Think Experience, which is an immersive entertainment company. And what I mean by that, it's new experiences tied in where we're using everything from, uh, you know, AR, augmented reality, VR, virtual reality, very unique experiences. We've been playing in a 360-degree immersive dome in downtown Los Angeles, uh, where it's created an incredible experience. It's almost like a shared VR experience. So we're, I believe, like as an entrepreneur, as a musician, you have to find ways now to generate, build your own business, and uh, you know, take advantage of the opportunities that are out there through the technologies that's there. But it takes a totally different mindset. You definitely do have to have a an entrepreneurial sort of mind to actually go after this stuff today. You know, we have we have a lot of you know immersive experiences here in, in Las Vegas, the Las Vegas area. I'd love to see something you know some kind of concept. Uh, from you guys out here, I mean, is that something that's pop- possibly in the works? Uh, we are. We're actually in the midst of some conversations right now. Uh, I've been uh, my partners. Uh, we're are uh, is a company out of Montreal, and we manage one of those uh, a tent, which is about sixteen hundred seat immersive dome theater tent, like a Cirque du Soleil type tent uh, that was down in Pasadena. That now we're looking at possibly putting in Las Vegas. Uh, it's the most state-of-the-art immersive theater in the world right now. It's brand new, uh, and we're actually in the midst of having conversations with people as we speak to put that thing 
shows there. Well, I mean, that's great to hear. I'd, I'd love to... Love to, I'd love to experience, have that experience to be able to, to do that here. So it'll, it'll be interesting. Once once you get that launch, maybe we'll get you back on to talk a little bit about it. Um, you know, you know, you're talking a little bit about the idea of you know musicians having to you know having to get an audience and to be able to do that as well. Right. Um, one of the companies that you do have is Open OPI, which is very interesting in terms of search engine uh, reliability. I mean, a lot of you know, a lot of these artists have to have the ability to, um, you know, to be able to hit, to be able to be able to be searched and found um, relatively quickly. Or if somebody has, you know, music in the R&B realm, there's so many R&B artists that are out there as well that kind of, you know, kind of make themselves stand out a little bit. Can you tell me a little bit about the OPI company and, and open the OPI company? and um, no, OPI, well, just, OPI was more in the medical field. Uh, it was the online presence index is what that was about. It was really focused on the uh, metal, med- uh, the medical community for doctors. But, I mean, the same type of thinking is important because you're online. People think of online now as just, you know, it's either marketing or whatever. But really, truthfully, it's your business. You know, everything is about your audience. Like I mentioned earlier, whoever owns the audience wins. And what's really interesting is there's actually Kevin Kelly from Wired Magazine, I don't know, about eight, nine years ago, he coined a term called uh, 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 the true fan, a thousand true fans. And a true fan is somebody that will spend $100 a year on you, whatever you're selling, whether it's your shows, your record, whatever. But if I have 1,000 of those fans, I have, there's my first, you know, $100,000 in revenue. So the idea is really thinking differently as opposed to trying to get out to everybody, but it's really about building a uh, building your hive, your your super fan sort of army. And uh, actually, I have a friend that is a, an artist uh, that has around 125 to 30 really big super fans. She says to me that that basically funds her for the entire year. That one group of people. So it's really not so much about massive audience for what I would call it I'll call it the artist middle class right it's a little different than you know obviously if you're Sean Mendez or Justin Bieber and you got big record company money but I'm, I'm talking about, about the independent that wants to create a business have a good living and, and have fun playing their music doing their art it's very viable today it's not simple uh, you have to get educated and learn how this all works and learn about growth hacking and data science and all those types of things which are not normally things that artists would do but those for the artist entrepreneur that's a that's a you really have to get up to knowledge because i mean these things can help you so much one of the big changes that we have today uh that we've never had before was access to data so we now know before we even go do something we can we can run data figure out reports and target and find things and get information before we actually go and build something and find out nobody wants it you can at least find out if uh if there's value if people care about it before you actually get started i base all my my business stuff and things that i teach on the uh on the lean startup principles which is a set of principles that come out of silicon valley basically it's the new way it's it's tied to what they call the lean canvas a one-page business plan but the whole basic premise of, of a lean startup is, number one, don't run out of resources. So you don't just start throwing money at things until you figure out what you do. Number two, fail fast. So the idea is if your idea is not working, you want to fail as quickly as possible so that you can readjust and figure out which way you're going. And the third one is test and validate everything. So testing the things that you're going to do prior to actually 
putting a bunch of money into it going and just you know going for it and hoping and praying it's going to work it's more uh it's it's more well thought out strategically to make sure that there's a market and things that people care about what you're doing so we try to tie all that together for artists to really think a little bit different so my model is to go small let's build a repeatable model around you know 100 people and then grow from there uh, it's a little different approach, but it's a way that you can start generating revenue pretty quickly from your super fans and get the ball rolling. I, I, I kind of see that as similar to, um, you know, a chef, um, you know, having a food truck versus a, a, a brick and mortar location. You know, once once you go out there and you kind of get that that feedback from from what what works and what doesn't work, or even just just where your location is in terms of where your your truck is, it can tell you. Where, where to set up a brick and mortar, what food works, what does not work, and that kind of almost, you know, gives you a te- kind of a test to be able to do that. So it's kind of an interesting concept. Yeah, and again, anybody out there that are entrepreneurs or looking to join, do their own business and things, I really recommend just Google Lean Startup, uh, and you'll see a lot of different books. There's a book called Running Lean, Running Lean, and it's, uh, it's really, uh, it's an interesting book because the book is about was written about the book Running Lean and how he turned that number that book into a number one bestseller using lean startup principles. So it's a very fascinating book, but it'll you can apply those principles to whatever you want to do. I don't care what business you want to go to. It's very similar, but it's a very uh, uh, methodical way about going about business so you can start up, do the smallest thing you can do that's going to give you the biggest amount of bang. That's one of the things. So you don't try to boil the ocean, so to speak, but find out what is it, determine what is the smallest thing that you can do that's going to give you the most amount of impact and go make that happen. And those are kind of the principles of this because so many times entrepreneurs have great ideas. There's a thing called the founder's dilemma, which means you have a great idea and then you put all together, you go raise the money, you go make it, and then nobody shows up. Only people who cared about it was you and a few other people. So the idea is let's take the risk out, reduce risk, test validate everything before we actually go do it. And then and then once you know that it's showing strong signals on which way you're going, then you would uh, pour gas on it and go for it, right? Yeah. You know, it's always, always nice to have that, that data and, and to know that something oh. will catch on. Exactly. You know... Yep. Yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about you know you know like I said the, the music um, you know just having that experience um, since a young age to be able to perform you know in front of an audience. I mean you you had performed on Lawrence Welk. I mean you know and and you know some of the some of the newer kids aren't may not be familiar with Lawrence, but he was you know he was he was a huge program back in the day and you know just to have that experience in front of an audience and all that as well i mean was that kind of where you kind of got the bug that you want really wanted to pursue this pursue being a musician hardcore well it's my dad was actually on the Lawrence Welk show for 15 years so i kind of grew up on that show that was my whole my whole childhood was uh, around Lawrence Welk in the sense because that's what my dad did every week right he was in the band uh, so I used to hang out a lot at you know the television stations when I was a kid and those were the days when there was only uh, uh, you know seven television stations right it wasn't like today we've got millions of cable and, you know all these different things it was like seven main stations and Lawrence Welk was the big variety show that was on the air uh it's kind of funny one of my i feel my biggest one of my one of the things that i have that nobody else has i'm the only guy in the world that's played in lawrence welk and pink floyd which is a very unique uh uh kind of a 
I guess kind of a story to tell because there's you know Lord's Walk was one of the very first variety shows on television back in the day. But I got that really from being around my dad playing music and him being a serial entrepreneur. It's kind of why I think I got the business bug. Uh, we had when I was growing up, we had boat businesses, lighting businesses, candy businesses, reed businesses. My dad was one of the uh, inventors of the Wawa pedal. Uh, we have recording studios. So I was always around this kind of business entrepreneurial side in the music industry at the same time. So that's probably why I'm, I kind of got into all this for sure. Yeah, you know, I mean, the ability to have played with, like I said, so many so many great bands, uh, Pink Floyd being being one, one, you know, one of the most prominent, I mean... You know how you know how's it been for you to you know um, you know be out on the road and be able to, to tour a little bit and um, like I said it seemed like you you know you were talking a little bit about when you were touring with Floyd the, the idea of just studying business and all that as well and keeping your your mind occupied sometimes you know being on the road there's there's vices there's uh, things that that go awry um, but there's some with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. People that, that are just really quiet and and just want to um, you know want to do their own little thing in terms of uh, inter uh, in terms of um, you know what they want to do um, in their spare time, as it were. I mean, how is it for you to to be able to to go out and tour with some of these bands? And you know, it seems it seems like you're you're kind of almost I won't say a nerd in terms of uh, you know staying in and being able to read or to be able to study. Well, you know, there's so much free time when you're out on the road. At least the sh- all the tours I did, you know, we with Pink Floyd, you know, we played maybe four shows a week. So there were days and lots of days off. And, you know, we show up at five o'clock, we go do our gig, we're out of there by 10 or 11, we're done, right? We don't have to be any place till noon the next day or five o'clock the next day. So there's a lot of time. And even when we're traveling, there's time. So I just took the... You know, I've always been somebody that likes studying and learning, so I just said, well, yeah, I've got all this free time. It was great. I just, so I took the opportunity and on the road during especially that particular tour, tour to really study business. Uh, but, you know, in general, I, I've been on those tours where it was mindless. It's real easy because uh, we can have more fun, and I can honestly say I've had more fun than any human being, and I'm alive to talk about it, which is hard to believe with all the wildness that we used to do back in the day. Uh, but I wouldn't trade a thing for it because it was still incredible times. But, um, yeah, so the it just some people can I, – I knew that because I'd done a tour, a couple tours earlier back in there because I was on the road pretty much every year from 1977 to 92. So I went through the entire 80s traveling roughly six months a year. So I was out a lot. And um, uh, I just learned that, you know, to take the opportunity to use that free time – made sense now don't get me wrong i still had a lot of fun hung out did all those things but i tried to try to make it so that there was some value because i knew that the day that i the tour was over i wanted to take off a couple days and then be running right into my next thing and that's something i try to teach even to all the students uh like when i was teaching sc i was telling everybody there you should the day you graduate from school you go home for the weekend you start your new job on monday and the reason that can happen is you've got this tool in your hand 
uh, it allows you to build relationships. So the whole name of this game is relationships. So to use these tools now to start building those relationships early is an important thing so that you know what's going to happen afterwards as soon as it's finished. So I've always taken that kind of an approach to say, okay, I'm going out for two years on this tour with Pink Floyd. What am I going to do the day after? And that way, I have two years to figure it out and be ready to rock and roll So as soon as I'm finished. So I'm just one of those kind of people that likes that uh, idea of, uh, you know, I love business. I love love it to death, actually. It's just, it's almost as much fun as making stuff for me. Yeah, it almost seemed like... It almost seemed like a trans- seamless transition from Super Tramp to Toto to, to Pink Floyd, pretty much. You know, it was... Uh, you know, um, probably a little bit less downtime in between those between those gigs. So it seems like uh, sometimes, yeah, you always think ahead. You know, like two or three steps ahead. So it's great to be able to hear that. Yeah, just it's something I think some, because you know it's so interesting, especially when you're out on the road. You're out, and then you come back, and you come, you, you get home, and the phone's not ringing, and you know a couple of weeks go by, and you cool out, and then you're like, okay, what next? I just I just much rather kind of think about where I'd like to go and try to plan for that as I move forward. But in reality, if it doesn't happen, that's fine, too. I'm totally cool either way because life happens as it's supposed to happen. Uh, and not to really try to get all tied up on the, the end game and be more about what the ride's about. So that's my whole thing. I worry about the ride. It's, from my point of view, it's the only thing that's real. The rest of it's all an illusion. Because, you know, you and me are talking right now. That's real. Five minutes ago is an illusion. Five minutes from now is an illusion. So the only thing that really matters is is the step we're taking right now. So I, I try to live my life from that point of view to make sure that the ride is, you know, is really a lot of fun, right? Don't worry about the outcome. Forget it. It doesn't matter. The goal is just having, is living your life and, and having a great time and uh, enjoying it. And you can't do that when you're lost in the future or lost in the past. The only way you can live it is live it at this moment because it's the only thing that's real. So once you grasp that, it becomes a very uh, – it, it sort of drives everything else that you do from that point on. Yeah, you know, um, what got you interested in the technology end of your business? I mean, it seems like, um, you know, that in particular was something that, that you kind of focus on in a lot of your businesses. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Well, I've always been kind of on the inventive side. I look back, you know, in the early days, I had a studio called Walt Tucker, which was an audio-video post-production facility, but I had designed a whole system called Earmax, which was a, in, in a, in a thing called visual sound, where we use zooming microphones and MIDI-based tripod systems to, to, uh, t- to marry picture and sound together. So I've always been on the tech side. And then in 19, I guess it was about 1990, I uh, I got involved in, uh, I saw, I, I did my first CD-ROM, and it was for a company called Music Bytes, and it was a, uh, it was actually music for computer users, because back in the day, if you had a presentation, there was no way to get music onto your presentation. Uh, back on the old 386, 25 megahertz Windows machines, they weren't really multimedia machines in the day. So we created a library, built that, we and myself and Jeff Baxter from the Doobie Brothers, we were at Comdex, and uh, we were showing this product off. Comdex was a big trade show in Las Vegas. I looked across the room, and I saw this thing on the screen. I walked over to it, and I saw this animated, not animated, but it was a, uh, I guess it would be animated, but it was a thing called The Living Book by uh, for, for five-year-old kids. And it was the first time I saw anybody click on something, and it actually moved. 
And I said, wow, that's my future. So from that point on, I dove in wholeheartedly into the, the tech world. Uh, and 18 months later, I started a company along with Bob Ezrin from, uh, who produced all the Pink Floyd records and a gentleman by the name of George Grayson, who at the time was running a 20th largest software company in the United States. We joined forces and we created a company called Seventh Level about 18 months. And my, one of my favorite claim to fame or the thing I'm most proud of is I was the, I, uh, along with one of my other guys, we produced the world's first interactive cartoon. So since then, I've been so in the tech space, and my my uh, kind of career has really been about that the, the, the understanding the technology and also understanding entertainment. So I basically my life has been around that sort of the conduit between tech and entertainment, and so I've just been stuck in it ever since. I love it, right? And I've had now four companies. And, one of them we took public, which is on NASDAQ, and so I've had a pretty good ride on the business side. Got my ass kicked a couple times, too, so that's the entrepreneur thing, but that's part of the whole ride. But yes, I love technology in the sense that it's, you know, I feel that it's, it keeps me younger, and it also you have to be today because it moves so quickly in every business, and everything is completely impacted by it. So you have to stay on top of it. Are you going to be out here for, for a CES this year? I will be out there for CES. Yes. Oh, definitely. We'll have to catch. We'll have to catch up once you get out here, and um, you know, uh, you know, talk a little bit more about about some of these companies as well. I mean, anything anything that you're going to be doing out there, or you're just going to be uh, well, be out there well, looking. Oh, you mean CES? Um, <laughs> actually, last I'm, I'm, I've been tied into the kind of the whole crypto market, the whole blockchain world, and uh, there's uh, usually an event we do there called Coin Agenda that goes on, which is all about the blockchain and kind of the new cryptocurrencies and things and then I'll be just there kind of visiting all the rest of the companies but really looking for think for our company think uh, you know to talk with a lot of the different uh, developers of new technologies because the think experience is really about uh, building a sandbox for all these tech companies to bring the latest technologies to create a kind of a technology theme park let's say so to speak actually prior to our shows people can use their their phones and walk around the whole the exhibits and use the AR capabilities and then brings them into the show and the phone is part of it. So we're there looking at other companies. We'll be in Vegas talking to companies to see what's the latest and greatest that we can bring into our, our shows. Yeah, definitely we'll have to say, catch up when when you get into town and, and, and talk yes. a little bit more about about the companies and, and some of some of the stuff as well. I mean, it, it's great to be able to see, you know, like I said, um, just you doing so much in terms of the the tech world. I mean, things have, have just over the past 30 years have just been, you know, it, it's, it's, it's funny to think that in, 19, in 1990, 1992, where our technology it was, and we could probably never imagine where it is now. I mean, it's no. just amazing to think that, we're at that point where you know we're we're starting to get immersive experiences and all that as well, and I mean a lot of that was science fiction back in the day. Oh yeah, and it's I mean now right now it's coming on fast because here the listeners the three main drivers that have happened we have bandwidth it's starting to scream storage now is so cheap I remember buying the storage for my you know a hard drive for hundred two gigs for eight hundred bucks I just bought six terabytes for three hundred dollars. So, I mean, storage has come down, and uh, uh, bandwidth, storage, and horsepower. This phone that I'm holding in my hand is like, you know, uh, almost a thousand times more powerful than the, the 386 25 megahertz machine I was doing back in the year, you know, uh, 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 
1992-93, right? So technology is flying, and now when you're seeing what's going on with AI, I mean, if you think about it, Uber right now, your boss is an app. So you go to work for a robot every day. You get up, you look at your app, the app talks to you, tells you what you've done. That's the world we're going into. So you're seeing AI coming on quick, and basically the algorithms are going to run everything. Right? That's the deal. It's, it's, it's going to be crazy. We're going to see if the algorithms are going to think we're worthy. Because I can just imagine, let's say you want to go buy a house and you go want to go put your loan. Then the algorithm goes and looks at all your data and comes back and says, sorry, I don't think you're worthy. So the robots are going to be running everything pretty here pretty soon as far as most of the communications that's going on. So we're getting ready to go into a very interesting time because intelligence is being built into everything. Yeah, I mean everything from pipes in the streets to cement to glass. Uh, we just experimented because uh, we're always doing new things with Think. At our last shows, we have interactive clothing. So there's actually chips built into the sewn into the machine into the clothes, and those by tapping you can tap to interact, and it starts driving things. So we're going to see intelligence and all this new stuff coming on, and it's coming on fast. So the next three to five years is probably going to be one of the most accelerated years that people will see. It's incredible change. I mean, most people don't realize what's even happened. Uh, that's one thing about being in tech for so much. We have a pretty good idea because we're always looking forward to see where things are going, you know. Yeah, you know, um, part of it is, you know, uh, James Orwell's 1984, Big Brother's watching. Well, guess what? Big Brother isn't necessarily a man. It's a computer now, it seems like. <laughs> but Oh, yeah. I mean, people think about it. I mean, people are putting those Alexas and, you know, those... Uh, those little dots and things in their house that they talk to, and that thing is on 24-7, right? It's listening to everything you say, what you're doing. So people are putting those already in their house, and that is a robot, basically. it's You ask it a question, and it gives you back some information, and it, it knows what's going on all the time. Yeah, and, and, and hopefully uh, the power laces and the instant dry uh, cleaning uh, clothes aren't too far behind. Like they predicted in uh, Back to the Future too, um, yeah. yeah um, so yeah, well, like I said, like I said we'll hopefully uh, catch up when you get out here for C uh, CES, and hopefully we'll have more information. Hopefully, uh, hopefully at some point we get that deal where we'll have that dome out here, which would be not. It'll be nice to be able to have an oh, interactive yeah, dome great. out here too. All right, well, we'll definitely keep in touch for sure. Yeah. Um, yep. Any anything else going on with you? Well, let's see. We're getting ready to do. I think we're doing a thing. Our first. Think experience is a Think Floyd experience. So we've been doing a, a Pink Floyd show with an all-star band, Steve Perkins from Jane's Addiction, and uh, Kenny Olds from Kid Rock's band, or Fisher from Fishbone, and uh, you know Tony Tony Franklin from the Firm. We've all been doing this this Floyd show in this 3D uh, immersive dome. We've done 25 shows, pretty much sold them all out. It's an incredible experience. We're doing another one. We're doing two more nights on the seventh and eighth. It's downtown Los Angeles at a place called Wisdome, L.A., and uh, it's like no other concert experience you've ever been to. It's the wildest thing, because as you lay there in those chairs and you look back, you're completely surrounded in visuals, and you're listening to Pink Floyd. It's a crazy trip, for sure. It is the future of entertainment, I believe. Yeah, I'm really interested in seeing seeing, seeing like stuff out here, uh, be, able to, be able to do stuff like that out here. So, yeah, hopefully that'll, that'll, that'll get going as well. Um, yep. Absolute pleasure talking to you, Scott. And like I said, we'll, we'll talk to you um, in January at CES, and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about the technology end of things, and maybe we'll get into a little bit more of your music too. Perfect. Sounds great. 
Okay, um, and like I said, we'll talk to you soon, and uh, best of luck to you coming in the new year. Thank you very much, and thank you very much for having me on your show. Make sure to catch our next episode coming up on Thursday. We'll have J.P. Castillo and Ian Guerin and both talking about their projects right now. Um, we're also going to be uh, covering the Victoria's Voice benefit coming up over at the Westgate coming up on Friday. You guys can check out our social media pages at SWIV, at SWIV on Twitter, and at SWIV Podcast on Instagram. Um, that's at SWIV Podcast on Instagram uh, for some of the live interviews and photos from the event. You guys can check us out, of course, on iHeartRadio, iTunes, as well as any other podcast catchers you guys want to use. We'll be back with a new episode on Thursday with Ian Guerin and J.P. Castillo.